and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is episode 296. Boy, is episode 300 looming. Have we got something spectacular for 300 planned? No, but listen, you know, maybe something amazing will happen between now and then. Uh, but anyway, the important thing is episode 296. Um, as the waffling will indicate, it's me, Graham, I'm here. Aid is away in Bonnie, Scotland. He's gone on an impromptu trip to Edinburgh. Um, Claire is off having her own adventures. We're wishing Claire well, whatever those adventures may be this week. And Rachel is unfortunately tied up in a call with one of her wedding clients at the moment. She might join us later, but uh, we don't know. So maybe there'll be Rachel, maybe they won't. This Schrodinger's Rachel at the moment. But I am very happy to have with me this evening somebody who I recently got to meet at the Analog Spotlight event in Worcester. And somebody who is doing something very exciting, which I think everyone will want to hear about, from Alfie Cameras. It is Dave Faulkner. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Graham. Nice to meet you. Well, meet you again. Meet me again. Exactly. Well, I mean, after the first time, I'm surprised you turned up for the second one. But um, as I said, I got to meet you, as did Aid, at the Analog Spotlight event. And I suppose the first question, um, and it's the question which I heard asked the most on the day is, why aren't you called Alfie? <laughs> oh, you must be Alfie from Alfie Cameras. Like, no, I'm Dave. It's like, well, this is a crock. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I, I now know. And, and so it's. Um, I, I always wanted to do a family business, and um, and my son is called Alfie. And when I was coming up with names for the camera, I, I sort of mulled a few over, sort of the, the sort of mashups of words, and actually thought Alfie Cameras. That's not a bad name. And and I but batted it around in the family for a few days and it, it kind of stuck mm-hmm. and um and I think it for me what it what it is is it kind of it helps inspire me because I always think of my son when I talk about Alfie cameras um and uh but also it's more about creating a friendly brand that is um that has that sort of family feel um and and not not something that just screams tech Mm-hmm. I wanted something that felt a bit more friendly and, and a bit more um, a bit more vintage and a bit a bit nicer. Like the analog community, super friendly. Mm-hmm. That's a good reason. Also, I mean, you know, Alfie. I mean, the first three letters of that ALF, you know, the camera. Well, we, let's not spoil what this camera is because I suspect that there will be people who don't or haven't heard of your camera yet. And um, so it's really exciting to get to talk to you about it and to get to let people know what you're working on and, and what you're making really good progress with. Um, so the reason you're joining us now is the photography show is coming up, which we're all looking forward to. Uh, it's under a month now, so I hope everybody who is coming or can come has got their tickets. You are going to be there at the photography show, showing off your new object art. And coinciding with that, you are, I believe I'm right in saying, launching a Kickstarter. Is that right at the same time? Yeah, that's, that is the plan. So we're aiming to launch uh, the same weekend as the show, possibly a, a day or two before. We'll, uh, I'm not sure exactly how the Kickstarter timing is going to work, but uh, that's the aim. Um, and we're, you know, we're, we're going to take two versions of our, of our first camera and, and launch them on Kickstarter. So very I'm, I'm very excited to do that. I'm also very scared that i haven't got everything ready yet but um we'll get there <laughs> yeah you will i have no doubt so uh, let's put everybody out of their misery of um listening to me putting off what you're talking about this first camera the first for what you hopefully is going to be a family of cameras what is it and why should people care 
So we've been working on what is probably the most advanced 35 millimeter half frame film camera since since the 70s, I would say. Um, so we I did a lot of research before deciding on the direction I wanted to go with the camera. And I did start on a, a couple of previous ideas prior to this and honed in on half frame due to due to its how much fun it is to get out and take pictures with a half frame but also for a very technical reason if if you ever look at um making your own camera one of the biggest challenges you've got is shutters and if you go half frame on 35 millimeter format it opens you up to a few more options and literally two more options of shutter mm -hmm. as far as i can find out so um the, so the reasons at the moment are kind of driven by that technical but also um also by the the fact that half frame cameras really are great really enjoyed my stint with some vintage half frame cameras and i wanted to kind of get that across in a new a new product um but uh, and the other driver behind why we're doing a new camera is is really this whole challenge of there isn't there's no one really doing new cameras above a sort of, a sort of technology level mm -hmm. there seems to be this this ceiling um that very few people have gone beyond okay you can still go out and buy your your leica film camera i think they've still got one or two models left mm -hmm. you've got thousands to spend but there's nothing out there that's kind of uh, providing a, a higher quality um, more controllable product um, without you you going to a second-hand camera and then you've got all the concerns about am I going to get a good example I'm going to have to get it repaired like light seals replaced etc so I really wanted to try and bring a camera to market that kind of filled this gap that I could see gradually opening up as our vintage cameras get more and more vintage yeah yeah um, what is it that puts you in a position to be able to even approach a project like this? Yeah, very good question. So I have spent uh, the whole of my career developing um, mechanical and electromechanical products for other people. Um, more recently, so the last sort of um, 15 years of my career have been in medical devices, so very uh, high technology, uh, precision um, instruments and, and and tools for physicians and surgeons to use um, so i feel from a technical perspective i know how to make the camera function i know how to get the, the things manufactured and and really prepare them and get them to the point where we're ready to to sell um, i also i've been a photographer for absolutely years now um, I've, you know, since university, I've had some interesting cameras, whether it was an old Zenit E that I used to take my portfolio pictures doing my design degree, or, um, or, or I even had a, an Apple Quick Take, one of the first digital cameras when I was at university. So that... All the best cameras, then the Zenit E and an Apple Quick Take, and still photography is a hobby. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I and you know, it's remained a passion, and I've kind of gone full circle. I spent many years really into wildlife photography and digital photography, which I still enjoy, but more and more now, uh, over the last four or five years, it's been analog all the way. And I don't think I've picked up a digital camera apart from my mobile phone, obviously, but a, a digital camera for photography, uh. I've only used one to take pictures of of what we've been developing. So, mm -hmm. and you said it was 
during lockdown that the impetus as for as for many people you suddenly found you had time on your hands to think about things or maybe you didn't have time on your hands maybe you just had an impetus for a, a drastic change in your life i don't know well so it wasn't just time on my hands during lockdown i am um, i've been working for a, a sort of medium-sized uk medical devices company and and we got bought by a us company and um and during lockdown it became apparent that the us company were going to close our site mm-hmm. so that that prospect of you know, a new redundancy was coming um i'd been with the company for quite a number of years so i decided to to stick it out and and hold out for a, a redundancy package and um and during that period as the site was winding down and we were um transferring our knowledge across to teams in in the us and india um i i sort of started exploring what else i could do um and started looking into what what ideas i had that might inspire me and take me not just to do something for someone else but for do something i was passionate about and then um, people used to say to me oh yeah you're, you're going to leave you're going to become a photographer and I, I never wanted to become a professional photographer because to me it would spoil my passion suddenly i'd have to earn money doing something i loved and i was i'm deadly scared that that would turn it into something i didn't love anymore but um but thinking around it i was like well actually my skill set around um design of of products and uh, electronics and, and those technical aspects i i can turn that into designing something for photography that won't spoil my love of photography but it will allow me to apply my passion and my skills to uh, to something really meaningful so and that's that's where i sort of coming up with the these ideas around um around doing something for cameras and then ultimately mm-hmm. I decided a film camera was where it needed to be, where I felt there was there's real growth at the moment. Um, I'm not sure how much growth there is in digital digital film cam- digital cameras. Um, it seems to be a sort of very stagnant industry on that side, unless you're in video. Um, but in film and analog, there's a a, a real uh, vibrant community and a growing marketplace. Um, and an underserved marketplace mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, there's that everyone's trying to. Uh, you, know, you just look at what's happened this year with the shortage of film, the uh, rapidly increasing prices of, of secondhand cameras, the uh, proliferation of people making a career out of repairing cameras. Yeah. You know, you know, there's there's just this the real buzz in the industry, and and then you've got specialists finding a niche and doing something new and creative in sort of niches within analog photography which is in itself a niche you know people like wet plate willow doing his amazing mm-hmm. uh, photographic work and people people turning um their passion for photography and artistic pursuit into careers as well which i, I don't think before covid was really on many people's radar yeah but but covid's been a real enabler for that kind of industry to thrive yeah i think it it um it puts such a sudden brick wall in front of just the general path everyone was trudging along regardless because that's what we do as human beings. Like, this is what I do and therefore this is what I've done today and it's what I'll do tomorrow and the day after and day after. And suddenly there was like, no, you're not. And yeah. when you're suddenly faced with like, well, if, I, if I'm not doing this tomorrow, I don't have to do this tomorrow, what could I do tomorrow? And um, it really does shake the way you think about everything up in, in a good way, in a really good way for, across everything. Um, 
So your first camera, the Titch, is that how you pronounce it? That's right. So it's it's the Alfie Titch. So the brand is Alfie Cameras. The first camera is the Alfie Titch. And we, I said two models. We're going to do a Titch and a Titch Plus. Mm -hmm. So kind of a Titch with a bit extra. Um, and it's a play on words. So um, I love that I love making dip titches with my half frame cameras. Um, and and it's a very small camera that I've, I've designed. So uh, I, I thought, well, titch is the right name. Um, yeah, it's we, we take the last half of the word. And uh, for the Americans, it's a bit of a challenge because they say, How, is it tyke? Is it mm -hmm. <laughs> is it tick? And I said, no, titch. <laughs> yeah well it's good because it's a, it's a very cute little camera as well having actually got to see it or got to see an early prototype um so let's talk about the camera in detail because there's a lot to talk about with it you described it as the most technologically advanced half frame camera i mean it's probably getting up the thing probably one of the most technologically advanced film cameras full stop because you're integrating stuff that hasn't been done yet i know you know a, a, so well several years ago at this point um reflex tried to to see through their slr which they planned on having a lot of modern tech and a lot of modern ideas in but that didn't make it one of the large parts of the reasons being that shutter issue which you've already alluded to so tell us about the titch yeah so um I mean, driven by that sort of re realization that half frame was the way to go um i i set around finding what sort of shutters were available because you've, you've got to have a shutter that's capable enough to give you a camera that can do the job. Um, and I sourced a, a few, uh, you know, obviously out of China, there's not really many other places you can go at the moment. Um, and uh, I did even talk to uh, um, Copal, Nidec Copal in, in Japan, uh, which, you know, they're willing to design whatever shutter you fancy, mm -hmm. so long as you'll commit to uh, uh, sort of 50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. um, that was a little bit too rich for a, a startup company, I felt. Um, and so, I've ended up with, um, uh, I'm currently looking at two shutter options. Uh, and the reason I'm, I'm, I was sort of almost certain on one particular um, variant, which was a, a leaf shutter uh, that was allowing me to, to get up to reasonable um, shutter speeds of sort of 250th of a second. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the challenge has come around with wanting to do something a bit more exciting on, on the Titch Plus and offer um, some premium optics as, as one of the, the options on that camera. Uh, and in doing so, I've had to look at uh, an alternative shutter that at the moment it's not quite as capable in terms of speed, but I am working on that, seeing what I can uh, push it to do. Um, so so hopefully we'll, we'll make that final decision on shutter um, and, and move the design forward ahead of, um, ahead of the, the photography show, but you know, I've got one shutter that is is absolutely working perfectly, uh, and the other shutter needs a bit of a kick, mm -hmm. <laughs> electronically speaking. So, um, so that that shutter has driven the design uh, and given us the half frames. Um, but then I wanted to um, to do something that was more than just a pinhole camera, um, and I did a lot of I did a lot of research on what cameras had made it on kickstarter because i knew that kickstarter was going to be my route to market um and uh, without doubt pinhole cameras are the most successful um but then a close second actually is uh instant cameras mm -hmm. probably driven a lot by lomo because lomography have launched a lot of their cameras via kickstarter 
and a few of them have been uh, uh, the, the instant type. And and when Lomo do a, a Kickstarter project, they really raise a big backing. So that sort of skewed the numbers. But um, I think the the that research sort of gave me more confidence around not just pinhole being something the camera would benefit from, but also by differentiating it and offering something more. Um, and so I started looking at what lenses might be available. How could I put a lens on this camera to give a better quality of image um, without having to uh, develop any custom optics? Um, and so uh, I, I hit on the idea of actually borrowing from disposable cameras. Uh, had a chat with um, uh, Paul at uh, Analog Wonderland. And, uh, and it turns out if you're a, a small lab, then then you you don't have an easy outlet for um, recycling your your disposable cameras that come in. Your likes of um, Snappy Snaps, they because they've got so many shops, they pull it all together and get them recycled together. But if you're a, a small single lab, yeah, then you you collect hundreds of cameras over the year, and there's no real outlet. So they had a, a collection of cameras which I acquired a box of, and um and the lenses typically are in pristine condition in there. Uh, they're very easy to reclaim. Um, and if you get the design right, get the positioning right in your camera, the, the quality's not bad. I would, um, I would imagine with those that it's because it's half frame also, you're using the best bit of the lens. You're using the middlest bit of that lens. So you're going to yeah. get the best that that lens has to offer, which is normally used on a 35mm frame as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is you, you're avoiding the bits where the chromatic aberration gets really, really terrible. Um, you can still see it a bit if you if you caught with a, a silhouette subject or a lot of bright lights. You still kind of see it in the corners occasionally. But if um, if the lighting conditions are good, the the quality of the image you can achieve is really quite surprising. And um, and also, uh, fortunately, uh, sort of one of the better recognised quality disposable cameras is uh, is the Kodak um, fun saver and that the optics in that are noticeably better than some of the other disposable cameras mm -hmm. um, you know when you compare it to things like the um, the Agfa one's not bad the Fuji one is noticeably le le lower fidelity let's mm -hmm. say um, but so so you know by by luck the most readily available, disposable camera to reclaim lenses from also happens to have one of the best quality lenses going mm -hmm. so so that sort of decided well i can i could do two lenses so i i i always been inspired by uh, there's a fantastic craftsman in south korea uh called i don't know what his name is it's probably unpronounceable for me but his instagram is three hand studio and he makes beautiful uh clocks uh clockwork artworks and and pinhole cameras um handmade items that are absolutely works of art and i really was inspired by what he did to um to try and make a camera that had a, something quirky about it and had a, a real sort of craftsman-like feel to it mm. and and so i came up with this rotating lens board that um uh, a bit like uh, you, you see on the old um, cine film cameras where you had different different focal lengths on there. Uh, and 
sort of saw if I could fit it into the design and thought, yeah, this this could look really, really neat. And it's a great way to put two lenses in there because um, I, I couldn't provide very, you know, it's very expensive to start doing helicoils and, and focusing mechanisms. So I didn't really want to, to go to that level of expense at this stage. Um, but I could provide different sort of different views, not necessarily focal lengths, but different images through different lenses by having this rotating lens board. So I've ended up um, on the Titch camera, we're going to have the disposable lens, the pinhole lens, uh, and your disposable is about F8, possibly F9, it kind of depends depends uh, slightly on the, on how my mechanical design pans out. The, the pinholes are F125, typical, you know, small pinhole, you don't get you don't get much light in there. And then I, I looked into what, what else could I do? And I, I hit upon uh, zone sieves and, um, uh, and zone plates and how you can create light interference patterns that modify the image to, to accentuate things or, or provide bloom or, or, or soft focus areas. So I'm, I'm working on at the moment a zone sieve for, that, for a third slot. Can you can you talk a bit more about that? Because I am not familiar with zone sieves at all. So that's going to need some explaining for me and maybe for somebody else listening. Yeah, so there's various different ways of doing kind of zone sieves, zone plates, and sometimes they're called photon sieves as well. Um, and, and if you imagine a pinhole in the middle, that's your starting point. Mm -hmm. And then um, imagine concentric rings of gradually smaller pinholes around the outside. Right. And... The, the design of them is quite precise based on the light wavelengths. You have to get the size of those concentric rings of pinholes right. Um, they do, it does affect the, the focus of the image. It does create a soft focus feel, but the, by tuning the, the, the size and the distance of those concentric rings of, of circles, you actually create positive interference for certain light wavelengths. And that's what gives you kind of bloom effects or unusual, uh, it's almost like unusual chromatic effects yeah. on the image. Um, and I don't, because uh, I'm just working on that at the moment, I have to actually, to create them, I have to um, photograph printouts of the pattern I want onto uh, a film emulsion that has a good, um, a nice transparent carrier um, and then develop it. And then that piece of developed film becomes the the zone sieve oh yoinks <laughs> <laughs> so so that's currently what i'm um currently scratching my head over and getting just right uh I had a few little experiments and then we're getting there so so that's looking promising and um and i think it's probably going to be somewhere around uh f56 something like that in terms of light so you know in between your your f8 and your your 126 125 of your your pinhole Good, and Again, just to clarify, so you have to create this thing, take a picture of it, and then that is what becomes the zone sieve, the negative of that becomes. Is that for each individual zone sieve? And each individual zone sieve is that a piece of film? That... Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, no, you know, we've got a 35 millimeter frame, so I can I can get five zone sieves into one frame. Okay. And then but I've still got to cut them out accurately. You get a punch tool done or, or laser cut them accurately yeah. and get them, 
get them lined up and positioned in the camera. So there's a few challenges to overcome still, but yeah, that is man. Sounds really fun though. Like the, having the ability. I mean, having the ability to shift from a lens to pinhole anyway is a nice feature. And there's been a few cameras that have done that, but it's always a nice thing to have both of those options on there. But having a zone tip as well, just to, like I'm excited to have a go with something like that. It's a fun new thing to try out. Um, and it overcomes one of the problems I have with a lot of special effects, whether it's films or lenses, is that you don't always want it there, especially if you're shooting half frame when you've got 72 shots potentially to get through. You don't want to think, I've got 72 pinholes to do. This is the rest of my yeah. life spoken for, I guess. I know. I think I think you hit upon something that I realised when I was exploring the pinhole option is that if I have to take 72 pinhole images, it's going to be the whole summer of ph photographs. <laughs> and I'm going to be fed up of waiting um two minutes for my camera sat on the ground hoping no one will trip over it yeah <laughs> so um so i think for me if if it was just pinhole it kind of detracted from some of the fun that i get out of a half frame mm -hmm. film camera yeah. that that carefree ability to just uh, I, the first time i took a half frame camera out i i went around taking pictures of i thought i took pictures of everything and i looked at the dial and i was on frame 24 i was like I barely started. <laughs> oh, yep. I'm I'm currently enjoying. Um, I've got a roll. Mm, I hope about halfway through on an Olympus Pen E3. And you're right. They are just they're just fun because it it you stop worrying about stuff. And because of the aspect ratio, it actually encourages you to think about things differently. And because you've got yeah. such an abundance of shots, as you said at the beginning, like diptychs and triptychs and stuff like that suddenly become a really good fun thing to do. And it, it's, um, yeah, they're just fun. They're just fun cameras. Can we talk about, let's get into the tech side of things because you've talked about the, you know, the shutter options, or at least the one shutter in particular, the leaf shutter. And we've talked about where the, lenses and the zone tips are going to be coming from and all of that stuff which is great um but i think one of the things that really is fascinating about what you're doing and, and where your knowledge and expertise is going to make a real difference is in the tech side of things that's powering all of this yeah so um it's interesting because I, whilst i've been involved with products that have had electronics and, and very high levels of technology in them I've generally um, specialised in the mechanical design through my career, uh, and I've overseen people doing the electronic stuff. But I did a lot of electronics when I was at university, um, and we we did something called uh, microcontroller programming, which is basically you, you take a, a, a microchip and actually program it to do what you want, to, uh, to switch things on for you or control other things. So um, I had to really dig back into that knowledge from the past and re-skill myself in in how to do that again um i have a very good friend who who went out of university went into business doing this stuff so he's become my um my emergency phone call probably once a week i have a conversation with him about uh, the the next problem uh, that i'm trying to solve on on the electronics but um one of the things that that is kind of an advantage over probably where cameras were in the 70s definitely but maybe in the 80s the, these microcontrollers were starting to become uh, more prevalent in consumer electronics but uh, the early cameras had to do everything with discrete components transistors and, and logic chips um, were probably the most complicated it got whereas whereas now I can get a chip 
that is um you know smaller than than your little fingernail that actually is capable of of running um everything that that a typical camera might need to do assuming that you're not trying to do anything complex around um you know matrix metering or um or or kind of ai sort of uh image recognition type stuff if you're just trying to control shutter speeds take light readings um control the charging and, and discharging of a battery uh provide sort of adjustment of settings then then these chips are, are relatively cheap um they're, they're it's they become commonplace and very ubiquitous so actually you know it, it's a minefield just trying to decide which chip to actually use um and uh and that's the, so that's the approach I've taken. We've got a, a microcontroller on the board. And also, in order to keep the, the cost and complexity at a manageable level, I was adamant I needed to keep it to, to one board that controls the whole camera. So, so in the, the top panel of the camera, we have a single board that encompasses all the, uh, the brains and the, the electronic control for the camera. And the only things that don't reside on that board are the shutter and the battery mm -hmm. and, and that's really important it's quite a common approach with modern electronics to get as much as possible onto the one board to help keep your that simplicity there to to help you realize the efficiency of, of mass producing not that I'm going to be at the same sort of volumes as modern electronics. <laughs> well, not to begin with anyway. Also, no, I mean, it helps keep the footprint small as well, which it's another important thing with the half frame. And one of the delights of half frame is that it's small. It goes in your bag or in your pocket if you're wearing MC Hammer pants or something like that. Yeah. So, um, so this tech brain, what is it doing? What is going to be the functionality of the camera? What are people going to be, what fiddling are people going to be able to do? Yeah, so what I've done is I've um, I've given it a manual mode, uh, and that's most of my testing at the moment has been done in manual mode because that was the first uh, first thing I got working. So you have a manual mode where you can change the shutter speed, um, and it will count how many how many shots you've taken. Um, uh, at the moment, it's it's not going to sense when you've wound on. So, and that's one of the uh, it's kind of quite a key point. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about it a bit later. Let's finish off on what the electronics will do. But um, uh, it's also going to have multiple automatic modes because you've got multiple lenses. I'm basically giving you a, an auto mode for each lens. So you, you press the mode select button and you switch to F125 mode. You press it again, you switch to F56 mode. And, and so you can cycle through those different modes um, and essentially have a aperture priority point and shoot light metered uh, experience for for taking quick half frame photos um, and it was something to me that it was really important that if i wanted to make it fun it needed that option for you to be able to just grab a quick shot when you're i know stepping off the bus and, and see something something fun you want to take a picture of or or someone cycles past and you, you need to catch it quickly so but but my biggest frustration with that, you know, I have an Olympus Pen E2, I think it is. I can't remember exactly which one it is. But um, my biggest frustration with that was that it it had that fun element, but then I wasn't able to 
um, take a picture in some scenarios. So if it, if it's too dark, I can take a picture because the little red flag pops up. You see, um, and now listen, I, I need to mention this before we move on because, as I said, I'm shooting with a pen at the moment, and I kind of love that little red flag because that little red flag <laughs> is basically the camera's way of going, "Hey, idiot, no," and um, and I feel you know, like I, I said this on the podcast fairly recently. I want the camera that when I'm being an idiot goes, "No." <laughs> So can we can is can we have a red flag or even better could could there just be a tiny little audio chip in there that just goes nope whenever you try and do something stupid and we can program you up some firmware just for you that'd be great that'd be great and if you could say hey idiot nope that'd be perfect for me. I, I mind you the problem is that these days people are doing so much interesting creative stuff that it's never that cut and dry because anybody goes oh, you don't want it below this shutter speed people go i 100 percent do want it below that shutter speed because i'm doing fun and crazy stuff with it so yeah and i think i wanted people to be able to experiment with the camera yeah. and to me if it's making too many decisions for you it takes away the opportunity to experiment yeah. so i'm fully expecting the vast majority of people who own one to use it in auto mode most of the time mm -hmm. um but There'll be people who want to, to have that play, want to do the manual stuff. And, um, you know, when, you, when you're trying to do multiple exposures, auto mode isn't going to cut it. You're going mm -hmm. to you're have to get your brain dirty and, uh, and actually do some, do some basic, oh, what should I actually be exposing this at if I want to do three exposures of this person running down the road? <laughs> yeah. So, so that... and. That's the, the basics of what it does. The other key thing that it does is it manages the charging of, of your battery. And um, I, I really, initially, I really wanted to put removable batteries into this camera. I wanted it to be that you could just pop a, uh, a AAA in there and, and get it up and running. But um, the, the fundamentals of it are that in order to do that, it, the camera would have to be quite a bit bigger. Um, and, and the reason behind that is that to to create a battery box, something in the camera to take a battery reliably that a user can uh, access and not break, um, requires quite a, a sophisticated design, um, which I don't have the, the budget to go to that uh, level of tooling and, and refinement on the design at this point. Um, so I was restricted to off-the-shelf battery housings. And the minute you put one of those in, the camera's suddenly getting 20 millimeters higher and, mm. and, and X amount bulkier. So, so my solution to that was to put a, a lithium polymer rechargeable battery in there. Um, and I, I, from my perspective, it's actually quite convenient. You can just plug it into a USB-C so USB socket and uh, charge it in a couple of hours. Um, the, power, the power drain from the camera is pretty minimal. Um, I typically i don't think i've ever had to charge one yet because it's it's run down on me while i've been out shooting uh, every every couple of weeks because i'm always got one on me and i'm taking probably uh, an average of a film every fortnight with it um but uh I, every time i'm going on an important shoot where i want to create social media content i'll charge it up but apart from that i don't really think about charging it <laughs> yeah yeah and so that power supply, it's um, powering the, the light meter in there. Yeah, light meter in there. So it's powering the main the main board, which has got your display that that will tell you what mode it's in and what light meter reading is when you're in in an automatic mode. Um, 
but it, it's essentially it, it's driving that board to let you do what you need to do the power required to drive the brain of the camera is really low yeah it, it's the power to drive the shutter yeah is, is what drains the power so if you know if you were really into your pinhole stuff and doing like 10 minute exposures you might see that battery meet battery level come down over the course of a film um but when you're taking uh typical exposures of, of less than a second you know you've got rolls and rolls of film before the battery yeah. battery indicator is going to even <laughs> be impacted with the shutter controls in automatic mode is that sort of a fully stepless thing it's just going to go this is how much light's needed therefore the shutter's going to be open this long or how's that going to work so at the moment in manual mode i'm going up in a third of a stop and i think because um of the way that the, the software is written i will probably um make the or the automatic mode do in third stops as well because mm -hmm. it, it kind of within the within the controller there's kind of a lookup table for the exposures and so i can just make the automatic mode use the same lookup table for the uh that the the manual mode's using so it's not going to be i know like your mobile phone will do some really strange yeah. shutter speeds to to really get the exposure nailed um it i i think that's a step too far for the capabilities of of the electronics i've got at the moment and maybe it's something for the future with the pinhole then what what's the maximum shutter length you can have on it it's got bulb mode got bulb so you, mode so you can have as long as so as long as the battery's lasting and i think um you know with the with the current shutter that i'm using in in all the prototypes you can probably go for about six hours oh crumbs quite a while then yeah, I think it might be a bit, it'd probably be a bit shorter in, you know, once once it's actually got warmed up. But um, yeah, yeah, literally hours if you wanted one one exposure. Yeah. Or you, know, you can you can plug it into a power pack and um and as long as you've got power to it. Oh great. So <laughs> it will it will also run whilst power. I mean I suppose um another useful thing about the fact that you've gone this way with the battery and it's USB C does that mean that it will be possible to update firmware if necessary or is that not going to do with these boards so with this particular board you can't update firmware through the usb-c mm -hmm. um, it's a back to factory thing for a firmware yeah. update um i it's it's a lot more involved to write the software to do firmware updates and not only that you have to provide uh, a software for the other end of things so yeah, the the PC or the the yeah. Apple Mac that someone's trying to do it from. Um, it's maybe somewhere we could go in the future, but I decided quite early on that that was that was just another level of complexity that I I couldn't handle at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, the I mean, we'll have links to your website in the show notes because I'll let you describe the way the camera looks because it is a it's a distinctive looking camera. So talk about how it looks, why it looks the way it looks. And you already talked about some of your inspirations from Three Hands. Um, and also what it's it's made out of, what it's going to be made out of, so people can get an idea of how it's going to feel in the hand. Yeah, so if you imagine a, uh, a shrunken um, Nikon uh, or any, well, almost any 1970s SLR camera that has an aluminium top plate, aluminium bottom plate, and a um a main body that's black in the middle and then you shrink it 
<laughs> and, and not just not just um not just accidentally shrink it a little bit you know it goes in the boil wash by accident and shrink it to the size where you can just get a film canister in the back that's that's what we're talking about in terms of look but then add on to that the quirkiness of having a um a circular viewfinder on perched on the top um and then turned aluminium uh rewind knob and and film opening knob and and you kind of get a sense of the sort of i wanted something that people if you put it down on a coffee table people might ask you questions about it mm. i kind of like i like it when people ask me about my cameras so i wanted a camera that looked very unique and striking um and and that's quite difficult to do when it's as small as this because <laughs> you know it does it does fit in your pocket if you need it to but um uh, but at the same time people people see me using it and do a double take and and some some will ask me questions about it not not quite the same as wandering around with a um medium format or a uh, a large format camera but um but it does engage with people quite well i think i think it's a really i genuinely think it's a really cool looking little camera i think it's very eye-catching the design is one of those things that you look and go oh somebody's there's real thought been put into that the um the dimensions just it is it is an eye-catching thing and it doesn't look like anything else i mean it obviously looks like a camera it bears quite a lot of resemblance to a camera and many other cameras but it's unique within that sphere. Um, how have you found, because the design is obviously a very important thing, and with cameras, personally, and I think probably for a lot of people, with film cameras, one of the most important elements is the tactile nature of it. Now, um, I'm really pleased to hear that you know there's quite a lot of metal and you talk about the turn down aluminium bits. How has it been getting that stuff right? Because it, you, you've got bits that need to turn. You've got that the wheel on the front with the lenses and the pinhole and the sieve in. How hard has that been to get that right, to make it feel good? To Because for me, the best cameras are the ones that also function as a fidget toy <laughs> when you're not yeah. taking pictures. Yeah, so I think um, it's really challenging because the, you know, I still, whilst it might not look like it, I still am using 3D printed technology to, to build the main body of the camera. Uh, and I've specifically chosen a technology that the finished print looks like a black leatherette. <laughs> So um, it's not like uh, the the 3D prints that you may have seen on, on some cameras where you can really see layers there. It mm. does. It looks like a finished product, but um, so that's been quite challenging because the the sort of manufacturing tolerances that are achievable make um, doing really kind of sexy um, human interface interactions quite difficult. Um, so. There are areas that I'm really pleased about uh, and there are other areas where I'd, I'd love to improve. And one of the areas I absolutely love is, and I'm going to put it near the microphone. So this, when you turn the lenses from one to the other, this is the noise it makes. I don't know if that's picking that's that up. It's a very delicate little click, yes. Delicate little click, but it's just lovely because, yeah. and in, interestingly, and, and it's down to the design and what does that clicking for you, but it's a detent so that you know yeah, you've reached in, that yeah. box for that next lens but um the if you go the other way it doesn't make nearly as good a sound <laughs> <laughs> if i could make it make the same sound both ways i would but i i haven't had a chance to really really it's, nail that one yet it is the little things like that though that are they are an important part of the enjoyment of using it i was i was out for a ride tonight on one of my motorbikes 
And the last part of my enjoyment was, boy, this makes a fun noise. <laughs> boy, I'm having yeah, a good time because yeah. this is making a fun noise. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it makes it such a four-dimensional experience um, because you, there are all, all those different elements. Um, so I'm, I mean, I, I think it's one of those cameras that, and this is the great thing about you being at the photography show, it's going to give a lot of people an opportunity to see it and to pick it up and and to experience the click yeah <laughs> and yeah. those things i tell you so the other if you if you get chance to check out three hand studio the other thing that you probably spot as an inspiration is that there's a window on top of my camera and it's it's from a, a watch glass so i put a, a piece of watch glass in there and mm -hmm. i secure it in place with a, a bezel with with screws in it so it looks like a almost like a porthole into the inside of the camera and that's where i've got the display and it, it's quite raw because you can see all the you can see the electronics in there going on yeah but but it's it's something that to me adds to the character i could have done a, a nicely finished bezel around that that display that hid everything but but there was no there was no charm with that yeah by by making it kind of visible and and you can see a bit of what's going on it it really does give it a unique feel yeah yeah, again, I'll put a link to the um, Three Hand Studio Instagram account as well. I went to their website. I'll say one thing: they build stuff way better than they build websites. <laughs> yeah, none yeah. of the um, none of the links on the website work at all. So you can't look at anything. I was like, no, well, yeah, the, but the Instagram, the Instagram account's good. Yeah, yeah, beautiful stuff. Um, we talked a bit about the fact that it, I, I'm interested. You you decided you want to make a film camera. And did you explore just full frame thirty five mil first? Like I, I know we know why you decided to go with half frame, but how did you come to that, or was it just like well? So um, I, it was really uh, it's sort of a bit of circumstance. I initially, my initial design for a camera was looking at using Nikon spare parts. So, and the most cheaply available um, Nikon. Uh, shutter is a, is a dx format so and that, and that covers half frame mm -hmm. uh, you can you can pick them up in in small quantities and as that there's the issue in small quantities you can pick them up sort of 15 quid a shutter um and so i i did look at developing a design around based around that and that forced me down the, the thought process around half frame because if you want to get a spare uh, a spare part full frame shutter you're talking 70 quid plus mm -hmm. and straight away i'm in the space of well if people are willing to part with you know 800 quid for a camera i could probably do something there but yeah. <laughs> um so so i think the that that was kind of what led me down the half frame route if i hadn't gone sort of the nikon uh film plane shutters first i think i would have ended up on on half frame anyway yeah. Um, I think because I wanted to do more than a pinhole camera, um, and and so I've had a lot of conversations about this shutter issue, and it it probably is the the biggest limitation to individuals like myself and small businesses bringing out innovative cameras, and it yeah. and it's you know the the main reason why the reflex camera failed to really launch is that they completely underestimated the costs involved in in acquiring an existing shutter let alone developing their own yeah 
Yeah, I know we talked years ago to um, Bellamy, a Japan camera hunter, who at that time was trying to work towards bringing a new quality point and shoot to market. Um, but it's that same thing of n- not only is it difficult to get hold of shutters unless you're willing to pay the exorbitant prices, and but also um, the designs are all tied up in... Um, they're all you know, copyrighted and yeah, trademarked yeah, so, and patented. patented. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the word. So you can't even go, okay, well, here, we can do this. Let's do it. It's like, no, you can't, unless you're going to pay them an awful lot of money for licensing. Um, it, it really stymies what, what people can do, and which is why the cameras that we have seen have been essentially working with much more basic tech and, and much more limited. Um, and half frames are fun format. I mean, like, you you talked about a lot of the problems that we've had in the film community over the last year of film prices going up and um, film availability. Well, holy cow, if you can get 72 pictures from one roll of film, that's that's going some, isn't it? That's already making things quite a lot better. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's, it's funny because I don't I put on my on my website and on any literature I do, it's sort of at, you know, more than 72 images. I think I typically get 76 or 78 mm. depending on the film. And yeah, and it's it is quite phenomenal to actually get your scans back or or scan them yourself, develop them yourself, and just be like, oh, really? I've got pictures from there, and yeah, <laughs> yeah the sheer scope you can cover with the film that that does that much. Yeah, a lot of people's concerns, maybe concerns is an excessive word, but a, a lot of the thing that will make people go, well, why would I want a half frame camera? There is um on our sister podcast, I Dream of Cameras, there is a, a running uh, difference of opinion between the two hosts, Jeff and Gabe. Jeff loves half-frame cameras, is a huge advocate of them, has many of them and greatly enjoys them, whereas Gabe uh, is wrong. And he believes, I think the, the exact phrase he uses is, why would I want half a cookie? When you can have a whole cookie, why would you want half a cookie? Um, and there are so many good answers to that. The main one being, well, if you have half a cookie, then you can have another half a cookie and then another half a cookie. Um, but I guess that people's first concern might be, well, it's a smaller right. negative, therefore the image quality isn't going to be as good as 35mm, a full frame. Um, but I, the way most of us are using pictures these days... We're not making great big prints from them, are we? No, I think I think that you know I sometimes I take what a picture I absolutely love with a half frame camera, and but I I like you say I share it on social media. I might get a print of it, but it generally small. But um, I tell you what, I do find myself doing a lot of diptychs, and in that mm. scenario, I have a pair of images that are related in some way, and and so actually my my work of art my my picture that i want to present is actually a full frame picture just happens yeah. to be two of them yeah so i think um for people that say oh the quality is going to be lower yes the quality of an individual image is going to be lower um there's no getting around that but you've really got to try it borrow a half frame off a friend or, or mm. whatever because it, it is a different way to enjoy film and and you mentioned it earlier, the fact that the viewfinder is portrait just instantly makes you think differently about the pictures you're trying to take, about your composition. So I think that the I would 
you know, my, I would counteract it with, yes, the quality of the image is ultimately, of a single image is ultimately going to be lower. But the quality of your experience is going to be immeasurably higher. Yeah. And as a tool for creativity, as an outlet, and as as just a fun thing to have and to be able to enjoy film photography without having so many of those worries of, oh my goodness, this is money going out of my pocket so fast. I think they're great. And yeah, that, that portrait thing is huge because it, it changes what the default is. And suddenly you're looking at everything by default in portrait mode. And actually, I think for the reason of shooting things like diptychs and triptychs, I think it's it's best if you do primarily. I mean, you can turn it on its side and then it's landscape and that's fine too. But for for shooting those sequences, I've seen some great projects done on them. You know, see people just do whole great long sequences all on one thing. It's it's incredible what you can do when you have so many frames to work with. Um, yeah, there's a fantastic Instagram account. I think it's Half Frame Camera Club. Yes, sounds um, familiar. Yeah, and and they they post people's work. Um, I think if you get featured, you end up in their end of year book or whatever. But um, they're always diptychs. Well, they they could be unrelated. They're always two images, mm. a pair of images presented, and um and the quality of the images that is there is just outstanding. And they're across a whole range of half frame cameras. You know everything from a um, Olympus F up uh, down to uh, uh, the the sort of I can't remember the names of them. Those little tiny plasticky ones. That, yeah that um, come out of Japan with fungus on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're great. I mean, I think everybody, any any film photographer should have a half-frame camera because there are just days where they're the right thing, especially in a nice... It, we just want to go and have fun with what you're doing and not be worrying. And you're, It's a fixed-focus camera, isn't it, yours? There's no focusing on it. It is, yeah. Um, so yeah. you, just, you just point at a thing, and if you have it on auto mode... As long as you're the right distance away, you point and you press the button, and and as long as it doesn't shout no at you, which is going to be a bonus feature, it's going to be a Kickstarter goal. Just go, no, then you're fine. Yeah, um, I think let's talk about the Kickstarter then, because obviously this is the thing which is coming up. This is really important. Um, so hopefully is going to be launching on or around the nineteenth of. September 17th 17th of September is that when it is? I don't know I'll be there it's ingrained in my mind because it's actually my birthday as well oh wow oh my goodness well if you don't back this then you're basically ruining Dave's birthday everybody that's right yeah I'll play the heartstrings at the show yeah so the Kickstarter you're going to have the two models going on Kickstarter yeah that's what, the plan what's the difference between the um Titch and the Titch Plus so the 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 experts the plan is they'll both have the same shutter they'll both have the same brains inside them the the fundamental difference will be the optics so for the titch plus there'll be a fourth lens in there so you know if you're rotating that board around you'll have a fourth spot to rotate it into um i'm currently working with um the same guy most people are working with if they're in this space over in the us um on a lens design for the camera which is going to be a landscape lens a two element landscape lens Excellent. um it would be a slightly narrower field of view but that will that'll give you some glass optics in there um it's probably going to be about f9 f8 f9 as well that's really cool i mean i um, don't i don't know because then you put on your website who it is you're working with but i'm going to guess it's a noted lens designer from the states <laughs> Noted yeah. lens designer and analog photography enthusiast from the States. Uh, people can draw their yeah. own conclusions from that. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, and then 
and then to combine with that so on the on the titch on the on the basic camera the viewfinder is going to be also reclaimed from that disposable camera um obviously you know any any with scratches on aren't, aren't going to make the cut so mm -hmm. they're, they're going to be uh, pristine but um that helps keep the the entry level cost down on that basic camera and on the on the titch plus it'll be the the premium glass viewfinder which is super bright mm -hmm. um and and unfortunately expensive to make yeah uh, because of those glass optics but um i wanted to i kind of wanted to lower the bar of entry for people who are excited about the camera yeah but also still have that quality offering for people who like you know like me i, I was you know oh disposable images they look great but i'd love to have something just that little bit crisper a little bit sharper and you know i'm i have to wear glasses now and i i love a i love a nice bright viewfinder so yeah yeah no i think it's fantastic to have two options because i i know myself i mean oh they they that that the plus option sounds lovely but then i'm thinking about my approach to taking pictures and going actually the titch is just fine because i like the the image quality for that is perfect for me so it's nice to have a couple of different options um we probably should talk about the thing that people are going to be most wanting to know about at this point, which is, what's it going to cost? <laughs> How much to put me in one of these lovely half-frame cameras, Dave? So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you a price just yet because I'm literally trying to hone down the prices right now. Um, the the challenge I've got is, you know, it's a Kickstarter project. I'm not, I'm not a Nikon or Canon launching a, a product where I can expect to sell thousands. Or tens of thousands as they might so the challenge i've got is trying to drive down my cost of goods to a point where i can offer it at a price people will go for um there there's going to be quite a significant difference between the two mm -hmm. um and um you know the the entry level camera i, I frustratingly the price has gone up this year just because of the supply of, of components the supply yeah. of everything that might some prices have gone up the the optics have gone up by 30 percent alone um and when that's the most expensive part of your premium camera there, there's there's no way to avoid it you've got to price it a way that you can build a sustainable business so um, unfortunately i can't put you out of that uh that question that's on everyone's lips yes no i um, tried listeners yeah <laughs> but uh, i i i'm trying to narrow it down right now i literally talking with suppliers on the electronics this week to try and get my volume pricing yeah out at them and i'm having to make important decisions around you know actually i i had wanted to include certain features but if i take them out it allows me to to knock that price down a bit a bit lower um and were they really that important probably not so yeah okay. as you said uh, sustainability is a really important factor in this there's you're not looking to make a camera on put it on kickstarter go hey i did that thing well thank you and good night this is something that is hopefully the beginning of a business which is going to go places and and it, and it's a business like yours that it could be in three or four years time is they going guess what we do have a 35 millimeter slr that some you know we've but but that only happens if there's the financial backing and the investment there to make it work in the first place and um, so these things, much for us, we would all love everything to be super cheap. Everything can't be super cheap, otherwise it's not going to work forever. So, um, 
I guess where's the best place for people you got a newsletter haven't you is that the best place for people to follow yeah i think um if people want to know you know want the earliest knowledge of when it launches on kickstarter then sign up for the newsletter on the website uh, and that's alfiecameras.com yeah if you want to see more about the story there is a blog on the website but it i don't post on the blog anywhere near as often as i'd like to i'm too busy trying to get the camera right i do post on instagram quite regularly multiple times a week and you'll get a real sense of the journey we're going on. You'll get uh, little tidbits, see example images that that I've taken, um, and you'll see my latest frustration over being up at eleven o'clock at night, trying to not poke my eye out with tweezers while I'm manipulating minuscule components and, <laughs> and things like that. Sounds good. Um, as I said earlier, we've had over the many, many years, we've spoken to a lot of people about a lot of Kickstarters. We've also seen a lot of Kickstarters going on um, and some of them do really well and some of them really struggle and some of them just don't ever get there. So I want to ask you about some of the things that we've seen. Um, one of, ironically, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest issues that quite a few Kickstarters um, have had over the years is they've been too successful. So you've talked about where a lot of your components are coming from, um, you know, these old disposal cameras, stuff like this, the fact that you've got to make all these um, zone sieves and all stuff like this. What happens if you launch the Kickstarter and 10,000 people do go, yeah, I want one? Um, so if 10,000 people go, I want some, the first thing I do is hand in the notice at my day job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I, you know, can't i can't hope to put uh, into practice making any more than than a couple of hundred cameras whilst holding down a day job so so that is you know plan a is if we're back to beyond a certain level i am i am dedicating my uh, energy completely to this this um this venture and that that is about building a sustainable business that my my aim is within the next two to three years to have a business that can support my family and that can also have the potential to grow into something uh, more exciting beyond that. So, so yeah, the, the, but the, the biggest challenge is probably actually electronic components. Um, and uh, the reason I say that is I, I have already had to stockpile um, uh, 100 of the processors because earlier in the year, uh, talking with my, my close friend who does this for, for, for a living, uh, he highlighted how the, the shortage of semiconductors um, was driving costs higher and higher. And even though the, the microcontroller I'm using is relatively um, relatively undesirable compared mm-hmm. to what what people want to put in mobile phones and so on, you know, it's not a super high performance processor. Um, that that the the big manufacturers were starting to dig into those lesser components because they couldn't get the the high powered stuff they were getting so i've stockpiled some components to enable me to honor the earliest backers as promptly as possible Um, thankfully as the year has gone on that semiconductor situation has eased a little Um, but there are still components that if i need them in in volumes beyond sort of 500 uh, i we could be waiting till next year before those components are actually available so I think um, that I'm going to have to be upfront about that on the Kickstarter. There is a there is a risk that I will have to do staged 
delivery against people's rewards yeah. uh, and, and against what they've backed on because uh, just because of that component availability I, i'm not so worried about the availability of disposable camera components to donators lenses i think that's that's reasonably achievable in uh, in quite high volumes yeah and in terms of i know you're still working on it i know that the as you said you're still busy poking your eye out of an evening with a sharp pair of tweezers but in terms of the core design are you, when it goes to kickstarter are you confident that what you have will be exactly what it is because again feature creep design change stuff things like that can happen once the money especially if more money comes in than you're expecting are you fairly confident that no this is what it's going to be and volume won't change that yeah the core product is going to stay the same the the volume change is around the manufacturing techniques so what i would do if the volume is beyond a certain level i will look to injection mold some of the internal components um because actually i like the the look and feel of the 3d print for the the stuff you put your hands on mm -hmm. and i'm not so keen on the look and feel of injection molded components for that yeah. um and and for the at the moment there's a lot of um cnc machining in the components the, the aluminium components that's you're know, relatively expensive unless you're talking thousands um once you are talking thousands you can then move to um die casting your your components which is what you know you likes of nikon and canon would would have done back in the 70s on their their flagship cameras so that that's the main difference that will be between a backed product and a well-backed product is that we will look to drive cost out of the product by choosing more appropriate volume manufacturing techniques yeah and if i mean it's going to succeed i have no doubt about it this is a really cool camera i think it's going to be very popular um how soon given what you've already said about availability of um, parts and whatever how soon would you hope i mean as a motivator for people who to be really ready and on it how soon do you would you be able to start producing these things once the money comes in so you know once we're backed um the it kind of depends. It depends a little bit how well this beta testing program goes. You know, if if we don't have uh, any any significant bugs to fix, and, and you know, I'm doing a lot of testing, so I think a lot of bugs are, are getting ironed out, um, and we don't have any uh, any anything major issues like a, a you know availability of the shutter mm -hmm. suddenly drops through the floor, um, then uh, then I would be expecting to be able to order components for manufacturing the, the first batches um, probably during the Kickstarter campaign if necessary you know I would I would consider ordering at risk those electronic mm. components that are in short supply to secure them yeah um, so so you know it's it's a design that I, I could take it to market as it is in terms of the electronics the the mechanical design uh and and the only thing that needs refinement at the moment is the firmware yeah to get that that functionality on the auto modes the way the way people need it to be uh, the manual mode is great yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic um, and and people it's it's one of those products which is it is a high quality product that you're making 
you're somebody with a lot of experience in doing this kind of or, or doing things that are directly relatable to this it's going to be a good product at the end but it's important that people remember that it is just you <laughs> making these things at the moment and there is a limit to how much any one human being can achieve um especially if they're on their own i mean i'm guessing you're hoping that you'll be able to bring in help and do more stuff but yeah i think it's again it's all dependent on what volume we're back to you know at a certain point i I kick in things like um working with manufacturing partners i i have contacts with in the uk will help me with the assembly help me so so actually you know if i if i end up just making 100 cameras in the shed that's that's quite doable within a month yeah but um but that's that's not where i want to be as a business i want to be setting up in a in a premises employing people to help with the assembly and manufacture of them and turn it into an ongoing product that can then fund the development of the next product yeah yeah i i really hope it gets there because like i said i think what we saw at the end of the 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 rough prototype that we saw at the analog spotlight back in may was super interesting and it looks to only have got better and better do you have any stretch goals that you're planning on including in the um kickstarter um so it's a tricky one the stretch goals because i'm i'm so up against it on cost that offering something that is essentially free that eats into that margin is a challenge and mm-hmm. um, one of the things i was considering is uh i want the camera to come anyway with with a wrist strap um, it has to come with a lens cap. You know, they're, they're fundamentals to yeah. being able to use the camera without a problem. I think a, a nice soft uh, cloth bag to uh, to act as a a, a camera case yeah. is probably where I would look to go on that. But um, I think that in terms of kind of hidden things that people aren't aware of that I am looking at is that I am looking at how I can reuse the flash within the disposable cameras. Um, and I have built into the uh, the main board in the in the titch the ability to drive uh, a flash that plugs into that USB C port. Whether I can make it work, I, I, I'm not going to commit to it probably yeah. at Kickstarter stage. But that's one of the things I would like to do. Um, and uh, and also uh, a remote cable release potentially as well, uh, operating through that same USB C port. So. So there's there's a couple of things I really want to do, and if if it's backed uh, phenomenally well, I'll be very motivated to do them because there might be extra accessories that people would be interested yeah. in purchasing. Yeah, absolutely. That a, a product that can grow past purchase is it's exciting. I mean, it's like Steve's done with Chroma cameras. You know, this he's got a family of cameras at this point, but also there's bits he's added on over the years. He can do it's it is a whole system and then some, and I think it's that's what makes new cameras exciting is that you aren't trying to scrounge up what you can find of an old system and put it together it's like no this is new and growing and you never know what might be added next as people like you and steve come up with crazy ideas for what can be achieved with the technology and the inspiration that's open to you these days yeah thank you it's very exciting it's very exciting well i will uh draw a line underneath it at that point um so Remind us again where people should be going to follow you to sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, so if you want to sign up to the newsletter, the website is alfiecameras.com. And if you want to follow us on social media, the most I'm most active on uh, Instagram, and we're just at alfiecameras on Instagram. Yeah, 
and you'll be at the photography show from the 17th, uh, including the 19th. The 19th is definitely one of the days you'll be there as well. Yeah, I'm. so it's four days. I'm only doing the first three because I, I don't think I could physically do all four days in a row. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. It's a lot. It's a lot. But um, go there. See Dave. See the camera. Um, pick it up. Have a play with it. Hear the clicking noise um, and be inspired by it. I wish you the very best with this. I hope it is a huge success. New cameras boy we need them i love half frame everyone should have a half frame camera and the opportunity to get a nice shiny new one i think is a real treat for everybody and it looks so cool as well it looks so cool so very best of luck with that dave and i look forward to speaking to you again i mean we'll see you at the photography show but i look forward to speaking to you again in the future when people have got these things in their hands and are having a great time with them thank you very much graham it's been great to talk with you that's been awesome right well we will get out of here now play you out as always with Rachel's band Rocker uh, you can find that wherever good music is found you can find us here as always and if you want to get in touch with us it's sunny16podcast at gmail.com uh, until next week thank you so much for listening everybody and goodbye goodbye